I am Gemma Godfrey. I'm Phoebe Kaufman. And this is Money Can't Buy You Class. Welcome. Welcome to today's episode. It's going to be, it. hang on, it might be, it might be kind of dark. You might, you know, it's, we're getting into the grisly bits of all of this today. Gemma, Gemma and I realized last week that um, we had thought we were all caught up on New York, but then we realized that there was a, actually there was season 12. So we had a self-imposed deadline of one week. Yeah, except we both finished the whole season on a convenient third-party website in approximately two days. And I just wanna, for the, for the viewers out there, I would like to say there's 25 episodes of that show. And to watch it all in like three days, you basically have to watch it nonstop for three days. And um, I really felt as though I was engaging in some sort of like endurance exercise, a la Marina Abramovich. <laughs> I felt like an ad for that movie. Today. Yeah. The artist, the artist is here. The artist is present. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, it really, it really is like putting yourself through something grueling. But I don't know, maybe maybe I'm getting old. Maybe I used to be able to do that, no prob. But this season, this season was hard. But before we get into that, we want to talk about like red alert, Jen Shaw, criminal mastermind. So I don't know if um, you guys are on Twitter or Yahoo News or BravoTV.com, but- <laughs> the, the big three as they call them. <laughs> called a new media <laughs> but this is what the the media class this is what we do um no but Jen Shaw who was like kind of the breakout underdog star of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City um Gemma and I have talked a lot about her under eyebrow highlighter mm-hmm. um she got arrested her and her assistant who we all thought was gay, but it turns out has a wife, which could still mean he's gay. Not great, but he's a, he is a criminal. <laughs> it doesn't matter if he's gay. Is that they're arrested for fraud? Like my grandma a couple years ago called me and like my grandma, I'm the only one in my family who my grandma talks to for reasons I won't discuss on the pod, but you made that mistake last week I I said too much um anyway so she called me being like did your brother just get arrested and needs ten thousand dollars for me to wire to jail and like she hasn't talked to my brother in 10 years and I was like no Grammy like he's not in jail and he wouldn't call you so but that's Jen Shaw on the line, probably. That was her on the other end of the phone, just waiting for granny to slip up. My mom got a call that, um, that her car was found in Utah with like 30 pounds of cocaine in it. And she was going to, and now the IRS was after her and the feds were after her. Um, So, you know, these people are like, there are scammers everywhere. But I mean, that's the thing about their crime is that like, you know, I feel like some good old fashioned money laundering, some fraud in the other seasons, you know, what does that mean? It's so abstract. You're like, sure, they're moving money around. I don't know what the fuck it means. 
doesn't feel as violent. The fact that they were fully frauding grandma, grandmothers, little grannies, is um, that's that's bad. That's criminal. Yeah, and it's also um, it's also crazy because it's not like I think that the the angle we were kind of taking when talking about it via texting earlier today um, was that it's not even it's not even surprising like you could see it coming because we everyone was kind of like almost in a bored way mm-hmm. you know how people watch the shows. Um, you know how like uh, the well, HGT, HGTV used to be like laundry folding television for just background noise. I feel like that's what like Real Housewives of SLC is. Um, and it's just like background social noise that you don't really care about. Um, but it was just obvious. Like she has a gigantic house. There's nothing in it, which means that she's yeah. either renting it or frauding it, or just moved in, or a strange mixture of all three. She's squatting. <laughs> what? She's squatting. She's squatting. <laughs> well, and she has like a million assistants, and she could never say what she did. So yeah. it's just kind of like, oh, duh. Well, the thing is, is like every literally everybody was like, "What? There's something shady here," and like obviously, but like, um, so you sent me that article, um, that was on what platform yeah anyway but it talked about like the the like the fraud all the fraud that happens with real housewives characters and they talk about i mean what i loved was this idea that like they give they literally like turn themselves in on camera because like they're showing this lifestyle and she like she can't say what her business is and she like literally in the reunion somebody asked her what she did and she was like basically said like when an when something pops on your computer we are the algorithm behind it. I was like, that means literally nothing. That that statement has zero meaning. Well, yeah, Andy asked her that. I think, you know, do you ever think that yeah. is like undercover fed? Maybe that's like- <laughs> That's a fun angle. Theory to follow. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, and and I'm gearing up for the the, the next fraud, big scandal, which is Beverly Hills. We're going to see that on air. Yeah, which because is- it was filming during it. So we're going to get an inside look. And Andy on Bitch Sesh talking about his new show said that they were like, they were like, Erica Jane better be talking. Like, we want to see that. Like, what's, that's what we're waiting for. And he was like, oh, she's talking. He was like, she is not keeping this one a secret. The crime apparatus in Real Housewives is interesting. There's many different points you can locate it at. There's literal crime being committed by the contestant not contestants, that's funny that I said contestants, by the characters. There's, you know, we briefly touched on reunions as they feel kind of like trials. Like there is very, there's a sense of justice, which I think goes with crime, like what crimes committed. And then there's also like, you know, even like on Salt Lake City this season, this is the first time I've seen them do this. The edits that they were using was like a true crime aesthetic. It was like flashbacks and like black and white and like like you would see on like a making a murderer uh, movie. And that was I thought kind of interesting. I think it's I don't know if there's like a specific point to get to there, but I do think that there is like this this kind of presence of crime and wrongdoing is like very very much a part of the fabric of the show. Speaking of true crime, 
um, this is this is related. Um, I was actually I was just that's why right I was just watching this uh, Chris Krauss lecture um, on like all of her movies is from like two thousand nine, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and one of her movies she like her like Silver was doing interviews with these like SM uh, madams. Um, and like another one of her friends who was just like a videographer who like needed a day job. Um, he was doing, uh, like they called him to the crime scene so he could videotape um, people who were murdered. Um, and I think Chris Krause was talking about how because like he was an artist, like he, he had like a very, um, he, he like really understood like what the practice of like almost this true crime um, like aesthetic would be, you know what I mean? And yeah. so I was just this video and it's just like this montage because then she edited edits it's all together um and it's it, it's just like these close-ups of these like murdered people and I really was thinking about yeah one of them was like maggots like and it's not as gross as you would think though because because I think in a similar way to reality television you just like at a certain point you stop thinking of them as like living breathing humans and I guess dead people aren't living breathing humans but I think that once you think of them as like objects or like they might as well be made out of clay like this might as well just be a set Mm -hmm. or like set makeup I think that like I've like you think I just like I horror movies don't really freak me out because whenever I get scared I'm always like well they're just actors yeah, I mean, it is a very, it is kind of about aesthetic. I mean, it's about the aesthetics of wealth. Like that's what they're, that's what they're, that's what they're striving for. And the aesthetics of wealth kind of are inherently criminal. Like it's inherently a kind of, like most of the, to make a shit ton of money, you kind of have to be breaking some laws. <laughs> money's kind of a crime. Yeah. If we want to get into it, money's kind of a crime. And, you know, and I, there's so much to be said about like generational wealth and like uh and like the taxes and like the tax cuts that have been around forever but like are you know with the whole trump thing it was like brought to the fore with like family taxes and you can give i think it's like you can give 15k untaxed a year to a family member i think that's something and we can keep talking about this but i think a kind of a funny little segue we can is that we can segue. So I want to segue into the emotionally exhausting season 12 of Real Housewives of New York with the observation, speaking of the intersection between money and crime and the television, um, Leah, yes. like, Leah started her business, Married to the Mob, um, with money she got because a police officer beat her up. I know. Literally curb stopped. She was curb stopped in Tribeca, where she lives now, uh, by a police officer. And she got how much money? She got like 70K or something. $75,000 and she started her own business with it. And Um, I actually think that's kind of (laughs) sick. Yeah. Yeah. She just kind of used it. But that's, that's, that's but, kind of not how you get, that's usually not the relationship between money and the police. No, but, um, you know, I was, I was literally like, you know, also talking about like crime and stuff. Like I felt as though Dorinda was a deranged criminal that needed to be locked up this season. I was like, 
put her, get her off the show. She was horrible and in a way that wasn't, it wasn't enjoyable to watch. It was actually upsetting to watch. And I, and I, I, I was, I was shocked by her behavior and I was shocked at the whole vibe of season 12. I was truly like blown away. I've never seen anything that sloppy that the Housewives franchise has ever done. I've never seen anything that like out of control. I was, I was totally surprised by that. And I want, I want to discuss why, like what, what were the elements to create that perfect storm? And, you know, I think I would like to, to jump off by saying that like, we began the season with Luann's probation being over. And there really was this vibe of like, probation's over people. Like, we're back. Like, no one's no one's being watched anymore. Like, you know, no one's being threatened anymore. Like, here we go. And I feel like that really set the tone for the whole season. Yeah, and the, the uh, where she got released is the jail. Um, Manhattan jail that's like three blocks from where I grew up but it's also it's where my ex-boyfriend was jailed for a night and it's where one of my professors was jailed it's like the where all the people who protest and it's also where a lot of like 9-11 people were held um obviously not the pilots who died but it's where it's where it's where a lot of those people were were held was Epstein in that jail yeah, yeah, that's where Epstein died too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also what I've always found fascinating about that jail is it's it's on the it's like the literal border of um of like financial district and Chinatown, you know. So it's just like literally there like the border that separates like the law, which is like city hall or power and money and even the uh, like access to the Hudson. It's like this fucking jail in a in a neighborhood that's now Chinatown, but before it was Chinatown, it's always been like deeply immigrant community, like not a lot of English. You know, it used to be Yiddish um, or Hebrew or whatever, or many different Eastern European tongues. Um, I don't know. I've always found that kind of fascinating. That it's just like this like deeply symbolic barrier. Like the jail is literally the barrier that you need to walk under or walk through to get. Wall Street and finance. Well, and um, we used to always walk by that jail to go get our favorite dim sum. <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad, my dad's who's who's so crazy. He would always, whenever like we were walking to Chinatown, he'd always make us walk under the jail, and he'd be like, "It's because you need to remember how what a what a privilege it is to be free." <laughs> Like right before we went to like go like celebrate my birthday at like Peking Duck House, he'd be like, "You're lucky you're not in there," which, which is true. It's not that it's not true, but well, yeah. I mean, that's largely the lesson that Luann wanted us all to take away was that she was totally burdened by this probation, and then, you know, then she had the fucking nerve to go to a literal jail where she was, or people who had been incarcerated and work with this, you know, foundation, but she had the gall to stand in front of them and cry about all that she'd lost for being in jail for a night. And, you know, that was a little like, that was pretty, she's so tone deaf. She's been tone deaf for so long, but I was like, Jesus. Well, that was also, I found that scene like 
um, it was strange because I, you know, not not strange. I mean, yeah, that that I think that that was like the obvious way that she was tone deaf. But I think also, you know, it's it was a tearjerker. Um, I think I cried watching her do that because it was like sympathetic crying or whatever. But she was like, all of us here are guilty. All of us here have made mistakes. And in my head, I because you know, like most of the people in jail are haven't done the crime, especially, you know, it was only like black people um, at that thing. So like, we just know statistically that like most of the, I mean, I don't know the details of like the, uh, of like why those people were jailed, but just like from like broad demographics, most black people in jail haven't done the crime or if it is a crime, it was like such a tiny, tiny misdemeanor. You know what I mean? And there's like a difference. And I don't think that Luann should have gone to, but that's, you know, prison abolition is a, is for a different podcast. Um, but, but, you know, but like Luann did threaten to kill a police officer and she was trespassing and, you know, she was actually committing a bunch of felonies. So it was just kind of like fodder for like the prison industrial complex on like national television for her to be like, we are all guilty. Everyone who goes to jail is guilty and has done a crime and now has a debt to pay to society. And then you cry a Right. I would also say that like, I was thinking a lot about this for this season, like, you know, like how, how does housewives like live in this moment, like live in our current moment? Like how do, like, cause for a long time, like I would say like pre-Trump, like a lot of this kind of stuff was like not as like big of an issue and like, or like it wasn't as socially, no one was as aware about it. And like now in a post-Trump world, like, and then like with COVID, like you really start to see these women's politics come out and they don't really mesh with like the current moment. And I think you have that happening on a bunch of different levels. like. Leah was brought in and Leah is like fully 20 years younger than them. And she was, she's a millennial. And I feel like there was all this tension between them and her, which was like this millennial tension, this like, this kind of anger and resentment at millennials. And this kind of like, oh, you have tattoos. Like that's gross. Like that means you're dirty. Like, you know, Leah had a very modern family. Like she's not married to her baby daddy but they're like best friends you know she lives downtown you know she, or she lives in Tribeca like she has a two-bedroom apartment it's not that it's nice it's really nice but you know to them they're like it's like and I think that like she has all this like mom stuff she's projecting on the women especially Ramona but at the same time also like there's these portraits of New York that are being portrayed that's like you know the cut the cutaways are like the Crocs store and you know, these like very like really gentrified, just like the parts of New York that you go to now and it feels like a real bummer. Like it's like just really like it's it like just feels very like polished and like everything's an Apple store. And I think like that I wonder how the show like will proceed in that because like I do think the housewives are getting older and um like they don't really fit into their they're in New York so much. I don't know. Like, I just feel like there's a, there's something, and I feel like the bringing on of Leah is kind of a, you know, it's kind of an arbiter of some new sort of, uh, like a little bit of a new era that they're going to try out. 
Yeah, and they also, you know, they always try to bring in the like token downtown person. It never really works because you had Kelly Ben Simone who turned out to be like batshit crazy, like like had a psychotic breakdown in like a totally kind of in like an unfunny way, but it was hilarious to watch. But she and she kind of admits on like the Watch What Happens Live 100th episode special that like she hasn't been able to find a lot of work after being on the show because people now just know that she's psychotic. You know, <laughs> um, and she won't admit it. And then you had that insane woman, Cindy, like fucked her brother, but she was downtown. So I feel like they're always trying to bring in a Carol person. Oh my God, Carol. So I listened, I listened to an interview with her and like, so I also recently was like filling time and I was watching like, I was watching Sex in the City and I was like, whoa, it's really funny to consider Sex in the City in at the same time as Real Housewives because like Real Housewives probably started right at the end or mid, mid end of Sex in the City. No, probably the end then, but like probably it was, it might've been over, but like, but I just feel like the, um, I do feel like Real Housewives probably of New York like probably did like as a production they probably did like want to think about like being like thinking about sex in the city because people love sex in the city so much and it was like women living in New York and like Carol is compared to Carrie Bradshaw all the time and Dorinda apparently there's a character in sex in the city based on Dorinda and like they kind of lived these lives you know but some I mean you know, definitely a different kinds of thing, but like they definitely live those kinds of lives. And then like, but now watching Sex City is so dated. You're like, this is bonkers. And then like watching Real Housewives, like, I don't know. I just, I just really felt their age. And I really don't mean that in like a ageist way. Like I don't mind, but like- Are you an ageist? No, I'm not, I promise. But you really feel like, I just felt like this, like, I really felt this sense of like, time and age and like an uneasiness associated with that I I think that like with with millennials there's like a romanticization um of New York be I you know what I mean um because of the 70s through 90s and even pushing it early early 2000s before like everyone had a cell phone and a computer like, and I think that like something that strikes me is there's this like New York when you think about a lot of like the famous shows or whatever a lot of it is just like about being poor in New York even if you're not actually poor like you know Carrie people are always like Carrie Bradshaw like how are you poor but have like millions worth of design you know that's just like suspense belief but uh, you know what I mean it's kind of it is an interesting segue to like and I guess Gossip Girl because, but you know, but the, 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 they, I think that part of Gossip Girl, even though they're tech, they're rich, is that it's not their money. And I thought that would, that's always kind of a part of Gossip Girl, that it's not their money yet. Right. So like alone, they're, and there is like that whole, like the poor people in Brooklyn, even though they live in Dumbo and yeah. no one buys that. Um, but, but do you see what I'm saying? I think that Real Housewives is like really a show about rich people in New York. And I don't think that before Roni, there's a show that played up the wealth 
is New York? Because usually it's just like, I'm so poor and I'm an artist. I live downtown, which is maybe also why usually the downtown people in Roni are so freaky. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, and I think the downtown thing has always represented like a very like, it, it, it exacerbates. I mean, they like to have some people from downtown because it exacerbates like the like, the women who live on the Upper West, like they're like intense, you know, snobbery and the way that they really like see themselves and see New York. And, um, but I did feel like this season also, I think, I think in part because of Leah, like there was a really strong theme of like the women's aging and them being like feeling very afraid and like alone and like lost and like like literally like I have these like quotes like Sonia I mean Sonia is always a great one-liner but she says like everybody is dying now and then she says I have one foot in the nursing home and then Ramona's like we're all drifting and Dorinda's like I'm afraid all the time and you know Tinsley is like grasping for like an engagement and like a a marriage and settling down. She's like grasping so hard for it that she just fucking up and leaves. Like she doesn't give a shit. She's like, I need to go where there's a man who's gonna marry me immediately. And like, you know, I think that it would be reductive to say that all the women are only lost in the sense that they don't have a man like the divorced ones. And I do think that's, I do think it's a huge, presence in their life that they are very ashamed of but I think that at the same time like it's about a lot more like it's it's really about like their kids growing up and like them not really knowing what to do and like they have enough money like you know like it's just an interesting and and I it's interesting but I also think that it infused the season with like a real real sense of like sadness and loss and that's why it was so hard to watch (laughs) because they were also all acting out because they were feeling so un unmoored, especially Dorinda. Dorinda had a breakdown. I mean, what she, didn't her husband, didn't Richard die seven years ago or something? And she was divorced before that. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Was she like, you know, Dorinda, Dorinda is, she does have one of those, Ramona complexes where she's like I grew up in upstate and she was like and I made it I'm the only one in my family who made it you know what I mean and I think that there's like this this uh this build up and she made it but then disaster strikes and her husband dies and then she you know she's lost um and then she dated you know she had like a fucking seven-year rebound with John, who also, can we talk about like John's eyebrows this season when he comes, his eyebrows were freaky. Can I just, his his eyebrows are really fucking insane this season, but then she dates him for seven years as a rebound. So I think it was seven years and set, you know, seven's a big, it was, it was seven. Seven in numerology means rebirth and seven is a very biblical number. It is, but you know, it's about like rebirth and recreation or like being finished with a certain stage in your life. Right. So I think that she's kind of like coming into that and what you get to see. And I think part of what makes it so hard is like, you just see grief and you see 
like the like honestly like this female hysteria at what it at, at what it means to lose something and to be watched losing it yeah I mean, lo- I mean, even just like losing it. That's like idiomatic. It's like losing it. You watch her losing it. She's lost her marbles. She's lost her husband. She's lost a lot, and I think, like you know, I think in a lifetime, people do lose a lot, and like I think women lose a lot. You know, so- Sonia is has always been a nostalgic person. She's always been like nostalgic to the point of obsessive and like a ruminating depressive. But she basically, you know is always so nostalgic for this life she used to have. And Dorinda is too. And um, Dorinda gets so mad at Sonia in like previous seasons because Dorinda like can't deal with it because she can't deal with her own, her own like obsession with the past. But like, I felt like in this season, it was the first time that it like made sense with Sonia. Like it was the first time it fit into the whole group. Like for the first time she wasn't the only one kind of like being like, oh, my life. Like they were kind of all in this kind of like nostalgic, reflective thing, I, I feel in a way. And, um, but I also think that I really am curious like what, what the recipe was to make the group so unhinged. Because like, I mean, we've been watching these women for how many years and we've seen some crazy stuff. I've never seen something consistently this crazy. And like, I'm wondering like, was it the combo? Was it, uh, was it Leah? Was it the fact that like she was younger and like very beautiful and like could drink a lot and they were all like, let's go. Like, let's get on that level. Was it Dorinda plus Leah? Was it like a combination of, I just feel like it was very, and like at in the reunion, Sonia's like, oh, I had a horrible season. Like I was being like way over the top. And like, she's like, I had to go to the desert for like five months and like <laughs> decompress. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, like what, what happened and how they're gonna come back with season thirteen, because I don't think that, I don't know, like, do you think they're just that's what the housewives is gonna be now? Well, I think that you know they we have the first black housewife of New York, right? Which will bring it into the more relevant, maybe. Right, so I think that the season is structured around Ramona saying, I don't know the names of my help. And then that's like, that like brings into the fore a lot of like racial issues. And I think that like, it's it seems as if like Leah and Ebony are like friends, which makes sense. Cause I think that like, Leah is the only person who's been friends with a black person. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> um, uh, ever. Um, but it's also interesting. I think that like Luann or Sonia posted a picture to Instagram today being like, like, just wait, like this season's really good. And it was all of them except Ebony, Hmm. which, so I think, I don't know. I think it's going to be kind of like Bravo's BLM bullshit. Well, I feel like they're going to be like, I, I, I swear to God, I don't know if I can watch somebody trying to educate Ramona Singer on TV. I don't know if I can bear that. <laughs> well, I think like a lot of things, it's very like, like, did you see that movie um, Vice about Dick Cheney? No. It, it was this, uh, it was this movie by a lot of, um, I'm going to get this wrong, but it was by like a lot of like, 
uh, like famous, I think like comedians or something, but you know, they're like cool and like live in New York and LA and shit like that. Um, and it was an interesting movie. I learned a couple things about Cheney. Um, but you know, but it, the only way I can describe the movie is it was like a meme movie like it was uh like in the ways that people say that kim kardashian like chooses what she says and posts in order to make memes like this movie was literally full of memes and memeable moments like it had like fucking memes in it there'd be like to a meme and then back and like it was like the only way to to describe the only way to relate was like through like the like memes um which but but I th- but I think that like I think that something that and this is not something I've articulated before so it's probably going to come off not great or thought out but um, I think that what that type of movie does is it it makes you prepare to expect something but but not in an interesting way like Otessa Moshreg was saying I was listening to one of her interviews earlier she was like the way that I write my books is like, she's like in a well-built house. If you go down the hallway, you're going to automatically know which door leads to the bathroom. Mm. And that's actually true. You know what I mean? It's like intuitive. Like you, so yeah. she was like, I build these books that kind of like narratively are like form- formally intuitive, but she's like, but like, gotcha, I'm hiding in the corner with a fucking knife and I'm going to stab you and kill you. Um, she says that but I but I think that like these movies or like these seasons they become so formulaic formulaic that they forget that they forget to kill you you know what I mean it's just like it just becomes like a meme and it becomes not even a good meme it becomes like a really weird bad meme that leaves a sour horrible taste in your mouth and it doesn't even it doesn't even necessarily mean to does that does that make any sense yeah because actually like so, you know, in like the that early episode, like the first big party where they're like all in the Hamptons and Sonia Tinsley and Leah are in the pool topless. That was like a gif that was going around. Like somebody painted it. Like that image was like a huge thing. Like everyone was like loving it. And like, I mean, Sonia is like, memeable as hell and has always been memeable but I I do agree I actually think that's a good good point because I do think that like they were kind of like especially when they were drunk they were kind of like they kind of knew they were like creating moments that were going to be like scandalous and crazy that scene I watched that scene a couple of times because it was it was so funny because like you remember that that was in a right before COVID but probably a year before, so probably 2018, right? Mm-hmm. That's that it was shot in 2018. The funniest thing where Ramona has the tiki torches and Leah's like, I fucking hate these things and starts like, like, uh, the like javelining them. I was then, like, relatable. I hate tiki torches. Yeah, but you know why? It's because it was, it was the whole, that's why I said, what year was it? Because remember that march on like the UNC chapel? What, what college was that where all the like white supremacists were like, um, Jews will not defeat us. Oh yeah. Jews will not defeat us. And they're like, fuck black people. And they were like holding fucking- Is that like, when the girl died? got hit by a car or whatever no 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 no. this was like one of the one of the first ones it was remember the vice documentary that came out yeah 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 
the like blonde girl with the but they're holding tiki torches yeah that was their whole thing where they that was the memeable moment of the white supremacists they all had tiki torches <laughs> and then leah says to tick his tins he's like oh my god no they're just fun and leah's like girl do you even read the news oh my god you're totally right yeah, remember they had tiki torches and then that's wow. when angry at them but that's but you know it's like with all these with a lot of people who have a lot of money it stops with being like oh like do you even read the news and then she like goes on as if nothing happened that's really funny because I was under the impression which I really vibe with that she just hated the aesthetic and the possession of Tiki torches no it just like became like this like you know like Ozark white supremacist aesthetic type shit I mean they're not all from the Ozarks but I don't you know what I mean but but I just remember these like funny tweets about it being like being like like what did all the white supremacists like raid the nearest Walmart for party supplies yeah right 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 that's funny um then Ramona just like has those around her pool and yeah that's a generational divide that's, that's what I was saying like what that's kind of what I was thinking with the aesthetic thing like like Leah was just like, no, not the vibe, <laughs> you know, like it, it's like very boomery to like, and like also like rich person with no taste to like have tiki torches in your, near your pool, you know, like that's, it's like a very like non-choice <laughs> to like choose a tiki torch. Um, yeah, Ramona has a questionable taste and she like, she, uh, at when it, when the, um, when Real Housewives of New York City started she had like really bad taste but then she got like clothing taste and plastic surgery and hair taste but then she kind of had what the youths are calling a glow up um maybe it's but but now she just like she wears like arguably fantastic clothing but it just it looks very like they're not worn in like she doesn't like style she's she's always kind of uncomfortable her boobs, her new boobs are too big. And she kind of is always just like, like big eyes, just kind of like, hello, yes, I'm I'm Ramona, you know, like, um, but she's also like obsessed with youthfulness. <laughs> she's like ageless by Ramona. And they're always like, and Luann's like, it's not ageless by Ramona. It's a fucking facelift. Like stop lying to the public. And that kills me. Yeah. But that, but I, I mean, that is the obsession with, with age time. And I think that it's also, you know, because I actually, I actually do think that perhaps this season wasn't as unhinged as other seasons, but I, I just think that as we, you know, but here's my thesis or hypothesis, as we get more current with the seasons, I think because of the whole time frame of it, because it's in our time frame, they start to feel more dissociative. Because, they, and I think that, that that's, that's the whole thing with how reality television has turned reality from a noun to an adjective, you know, and you even see like in the, in the like mid, what probably like 20 teens or something, there was like, like the dictionary changed its, I think like the Oxford English Dictionary changed the definition of, lit- of literally from like the truth to to like a uh, like an idiomatic expression for like uh partially false 
you know, like these words just like, they don't lose their meaning, they just shift meaning. And I think that like in a, in a similar way, as these shows catch up with where we are, we start, they become ageless, not in a timeless way, but I think that they become ageless and like they become incredibly alien or incredibly foreign to our sense of ongoingness in time. Yes, I think that's totally true. And I think that, you know, this kind of theme where we've been kind of sitting with maybe last episode and this episode is COVID crisis. And I think these shows that are happening, overlapping with COVID or happening during COVID, like, I mean, even like commercials that talk about COVID when like, when there started to be commercials about COVID, I was like, please God, no. And then they made a movie with like Anne Hathaway called like Lockdown Love. And it's like, I mean, it's just. And then there's the woke one with uh, with uh, Zendaya. Yeah, and it's just like, I don't want to see this in my meet in my television life. Like I don't. Fast. It happens too fast. Well, and and that's what's the horror. I think that's like what's like truly at the core horrifying about all of it is that like how quickly like companies like started making like COVID related things. You know, like like I I saw I saw a tweet that was like I can't believe this, and it was like a store that was called like COVID Supplies Plus. Like, you know, like there, there's always going to be like a, a capitalist reaction to like anything. And like, yeah, and like, that's what's, and, and, and that's like profoundly disturbing. <laughs> it's like, it, it doesn't, it feels like nothing can be like, like organic or re, like everything becomes solidified in like a market capital way. And then that feels, and then, and then your the personal is totally divorced from it and these you know yeah well but also the funny the funny thing about all of that is now it's like it's oh like they're too late and like Like, what are you gonna do now people are you know i was driving around 1.4 million people are vaccinated in chicago like sick honestly like sick isn't good or yeah 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 no no no, yeah no right but that's that's not even what i'm saying what i'm saying is just like the like it's too late it's too late there's no need for a COVID supply store anymore. You, you know what I mean? Like, because it, I, when I think of a COVID supply, or there is, but you know what I mean? Like, it's too late. It's over. Right. It didn't happen fast enough. I couldn't keep up with like this strange type of reality, which is happening in, in the present that people are trying to like, uh, like we were talking last week about how like Kim Kardashian is like a genius marketer because she can, she, she can tell the future. Yeah. Like, Skims is like like has uh, skyrocketed during the pandemic because it's loungewear and shapewear and that's exactly what people want and it almost feeds into conspiracy theories about like Chris Jenner and yada yada and shit like that but um um but yeah no it just and I I think that that fastness that type of pace yes has a lot to do with the weirdness and, and maybe that that fastness is just like living it's just growing no I agree with that I agree with like the pace of COVID has been like very hard to deal because like it was like oh this isn't gonna last and then it was like oh this is gonna last and then it was like kind of very suddenly in the past couple of months like oh vaccines it's opening but like I mean we don't know what's gonna happen but like I, I agree that like that 
but but like but it was it was long enough that it entered into like these very like it entered into like television and entertainment in this way that was like you know it, it was there enough where like you know filming shut down or like you know the Real Housewives did a distance reunion or their Beverly Hills was on Zoom for reunions the Golden Globes were on Zoom like the enough weird shit happened that it was like this is really our reality and then very quickly it turned around but I mean you could also say like I mean the way that like the news cycle and like Twitter cycle works is like it's one thing for like eight hours and then it's gone like if you don't see it for that eight hours you didn't see it <laughs> you know no it's super yeah right the whole the whole notion of a cycle the whole notion of of what we're saying that this I, we keep we kind of keep coming back to this to to the circle I know. Um, even to words that sound like that like these these strangely pacifying words um that have like the long like oh or ooh yeah. and you know it all it all just kind of becomes this like hyper um and I think that when I say mean all I mean it I think a lot of what memes rely on is repetition yes it's the notion of having millions of people be somehow in the know mm-hmm. you know what I mean so I think that like in in this type of of repetition it's not simply a circle it's it's a concentric circle and you don't really know when you're you're spiraling out you don't really know when the next level is going to come and I think that that kind of like leaves I mean maybe we're the only ones but I don't think we are but I think you know I think a lot of people are feeling a little bit dazed and confused not all reasons um but I think that kind of no matter who you are you're just feeling fucking weird Right. And so like, you know, so the COVID crisis of, you know, Kardashian season 19, you know, has continued with episodes two and three. And like, I was thinking that like the COVID aspect of the Kardashians, like literally, I mean, the Kardashians has always been boring. This season is like somehow mind. I fell asleep. Like I fell asleep because like, I'm like, okay, the show does need to end because like, am, am I like, is it because of COVID? Is it because they've gone on for, so, like, are we actually able to see the death of a reality show? Like, are we actually going to see that in real time? Like the death of reality, because I've been thinking about it with, with that, like with Roni, I'm like, what's going to, they are getting too old. Like what's, how are they going to do, you know, how are they going to end this or how are they going to usher in this new, but like with Kardashians, it's so boring. Like, okay, first of all, we have another IVF conversation. I cannot we have, an, like, they all look like plump ass, pear shaped, lip heavy. They're so boring looking. They're so matte. And then like, and our other main drama is like, are Courtney and Scott going to date again? Like, what is this? The Hampton the season? Repetitions. They're just these endless rep. You're right, because at a certain point, I mean. It's so boring. They got their shit together and you, and you don't really want, or I kind of like it in a strange way. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't not like watching it. I'm just saying like, it's fucking boring. It is boring. No, it's totally boring. And it's also, it's all, um, I, you know, the way that they've started to shoot it is also different because especially like the, I guess it stopped last season. Like I don't, I would have to, and it probably, Here's the thing. I think that they're the biggest shift. They're two major shifts. 
well, they're three, but they're two major shifts. In the Kardashians, the first is Kim's fairy tale wedding. Everything changes after that. Um, and then, well, I guess they're three. Then the second is um, the Bruce's transition to Caitlyn. Everything changes after that. And then the third big moment is when Kim gets robbed. And yeah. I think that kind of like, I think it was probably Bruce's or Caitlyn's transition. The camera angles, instead of the camera doing like wide angles and following or following them around and almost like a paparazzi type thing, mm-hmm. they start to film them yeah. very up close as if it's a documentary. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it becomes the show all of a sudden becomes a lot more intimate. And I think that the camera and the crew become a lot more welcome in their lives yeah. as an aesthetic. And that's even this season, you, you know, that in, in all the previews there, every, every single Kardashian-Jenner is like, um, is like the thing I'm saddest about is saying bye to the crew. Like yeah. they're making it into that. And I think that you can just see the, the intimacy with literally how close the camera get so and especially when they're in Malibu you see these shots and it's just like three colors it's like the shirt the color of their skin and the ocean yeah and that's the shot and that's kind of gorgeous well it's gorgeous and it's (laughs) totally boring and it's totally like a selfie and it's totally just like a copy and paste memeable world where it could literally be everywhere, anywhere. It could be anywhere and everywhere and nowhere in the past and the future. Yeah, that's 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 good stuff. I mean, Scott made another comment. He's like, the pool, the ocean, this is literally Europe. Right, and they pretend that it's, well, something, this is like, I think that this is gonna develop as the season goes on, but in, in every episode, Kim has a really random dolphin sighting. Have you noticed that? Yeah. It's very No, weird. I didn't notice it until you wrote it down. And then I was like literally laughing for like 10 minutes when I read your note. But I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. Kim strangely talks about dolphins on each app. What is this about? Very strange. <laughs> well, but it's so weird because everything is so boring and so vanilla and so smooth. And then all of a sudden Kim's like, guys, is that a dolphin? <laughs> She literally, because she has nothing else to talk about because she doesn't want to talk about her divorce. She's not having a surrogate anymore. She's literally no shit to talk. She's like a bajillionaire. She's like, she can't I'm talk about Kanye. She's like legally can't talk about the divorce. Maybe she's like, maybe she's just like sitting in the chair, like being like, I can't think about my life and just staring at the ocean being like, hey, that, hey, God, I just thought that's a dolphin. There's a dolphin down there. It's a meta. It's probably like it's probably a metaphor for because it, it's probably it's usually because in the first time she did it, it's Chloe, a metaphor. Chloe was like, Chloe was like, no, I think that's a shark, and Kim was like, oh, maybe it is. And then like one of the biggest things that happened, it was a whale too. Yeah, like the biggest thing that happened in episode three was that they saw like the like the army boat and the army helicopter, and they're like. Tom oh, Cruise. They said something about Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, they're like, that's so cool. Like Tom Cruise could totally be in there. <laughs> it's that. That's. It's just so. It's just so crazy. Like the things that they're watching from their Malibu palace. Yeah. In the ocean, that could be Tom Cruise. That could be a dolphin. 
Uh, that could be a shark. Oh yeah, that that's a great thing. Is like that's a great theme of the season of them like just sitting looking at the ocean, which is like you know huge and vast and like unknowable, and they're just staring at it the whole time. That's actually kind of cool. Well, um, yeah, and like also like they're up to their old tricks that I always hated, but like now it's like everything. It's like up to their old tricks of like doing the Courtney and Scott like bachelor day I'm like please and then like you know Chris and Corey are like being celibate and it's like they're always they're up to their same old pranks and like but at the same time I think like maybe that is kind of COVID motivated because it does feel like COVID activities like it does feel like they're like what should we do now I don't know let's write some date cards for you know Courtney and Scott and like see what happens and then like Courtney's got like let's prank them too it's just like it's just also where the freak are their children (laughs) no but that's the thing and I think that this is actually this is the argument that I keep making that I think is 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 super fascinating um and I wrote this in our little agenda notes too is that like the Kardashians pioneered a new genre of reality television right it was following around the family or the friend group or whatever but now they're turning into a different subgenre. Now it's the bad girls club or it's the love island or it is America, it's any other contest. It's a little bit more big brother. Yeah, but it's, I mean, but it's also just like, I mean, that that's, yeah, that's, I think that, right, that's true. But it's also just like, they're making their, they, because you know what I mean? Because those are always like, they rent the huge house and then everyone has to live there and they all each other and this or like the bachelor and this, this is what this season is it's just like becoming like an even like a new genre where they're not filming at any of their houses anymore and it's honestly probably because of covid you know what i mean it's like when they just go to one house like they say well no no but it's because of covid in a different way that they say they say we wanted a vacation but we couldn't because of covid but i think it's actually because it would logistically it would have been a nightmare to go from place to place so they're just going to this one house and like that's yeah but you're right that it totally adds this like it adds this like like this other kind of reality show that's like that's so not what the kardashians is right and it's the kardashians purposely distance themselves from when they made a reality show right and that's like right and then you see it kind of like with the activities that they're doing like in this third season they have like the they get they get so bored they spend thousands of dollars in hiring like the trainers and everyone to come over and do the spartan race which i only know about because of when Kristen did it me too that's like literally survivor that's literally what they do on survivor yeah that's what they do on all those dating shows is they have like the lowest budget dating shows are all on Netflix and they like fly them to like Cancun and they like trap them in a, in a mansion. And then they have them like do like trust exercises and like throw paintballs at each other and stupid shit. And like, that's literally what they're doing. Like they're, it's lazy. <laughs> no, but it's all, I mean, right. It's, I think that that's like something that we talk about a lot on this pod where it's like, it's obviously lazy and it's obviously trash, but on the other hand, you know, on the other hand, um, we're talking about themes of generational divides in Roni season 12, but Kardashians season 20, episode three, that's the major theme of the episode is they say it's Kardashians, the older Kardashian sisters 
versus the Jenners, and that's even starting, that's even like a brand recognition of the Kardashian brand versus the Jenner brand, For because sure. when you play Kardashian, you think of uh, Kendall and Kylie as well. So it's like this brand distancing, but it's also making very clear that they're different generations. They're the older ones and they're the younger ones. And it's even kind of like the social media strategy of like Kim throughout yeah. where it's like when, when there's something that someone's, or, or it's just like, and the strategy in middle school, when someone's making fun of you, you know, if someone's like, you're a slutty nerd, you just, you're just like, yeah, I am a fucking slutty nerd, like, whatever, you don't deny it, you just kind of say it, and then no one gives a fuck, because the whole fun of, like, bullying someone is that they react, so it, it's just, like, this pre-reaction, and, and it's, there's, I think there's, <laughs> there's a lot there. <laughs> well, I, I also think, yeah, there is a lot there, because I also think it's, like, also, like, they kept talking about genetics, well, they, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, they are obsessed with, uh, with genetics. You're right. I, I've never, because and it's babies all like, and like, thing. it's like, you know, even with, uh, Chloe is like, well, Tristan and I make beautiful babies. So we might as well, Tristan may as well be the sperm donor for my babies. Well, and like when Kim had, when Kim had North, she immediately was like, she's so beautiful. I want to have four more because I want to have the most beautiful children like I just want to see what my children look like they're gonna be like, so fucking short <laughs> they're gonna be so short her one oh my god the who's this who's the younger girl Chicago so beautiful I mean I've never seen a baby that beautiful <laughs> I think North though is gonna be is gonna grow up to be the star <clears throat> yeah but but Chicago's like a gorgeous baby. Chicago looks like an angel. Honestly, I don't think Chloe's baby's that cute. <laughs> I was talking to Chris's mom, and Chris's mom was like, I know Chloe's baby because she's the fat one. She's the one who's huge. I was like, Anne. <laughs> well, she is huge because like, like literally, like they were talking, like Malika's that this was so funny. Malika's looking at um true and being like she's so tall and you can't tell on the camera but I'm cracking up thinking about this like three foot tall baby <laughs> because like honestly same he's just like, like a huge baby um okay well we've been we've been going at it for a while now some food for thought in that one COVID crisis it's ending uh Real Housewives is beginning Beverly Hills is beginning springtime is here new life is happening Kardashians is ending. Kardashians is ending. Kardashians, the finally, it's like the first reality show to end with the choice of the people who do it. Usually they're canceled. This one. It's pretty major. It's pretty major. Um, we live in a historic moment. The Kardashians, they've chosen to end their reality show. And guess what? Right here is where you're going to get your most up-to-date news about everything reality TV. We're currently talking with Andy Cohen about being on the pod. He just wants to be on every show. And we're just like, Andy, you can't be on every show. So we're trying to whittle it down. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get back to, and to Andy's people. We're, we're working on it. Okay, you know, we're sorting we're through. Our we'll get back to you later this week. We've been very busy with uh, filing our unemployment claims. I've been very busy with my three part-time jobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay kisses <laughs> farewell bye, bye.